it would be important and necessary for us to be honest about this conversation. That we'd be honest about the fact that this is not always easy, but that we are called to do it. And so now how do we do it in a way for those that are called to foster and adopt that glorifies God? And then how do we as a church come alongside? And so we're going to talk about that now. So um, to start, what we're actually going to do is I'm going to let each individual couple introduce themselves and how they're involved in orphan care. And then um, I've also asked them to go ahead and start by answering our first question of the night, which is, what made you decide to become a foster parent or adoptive parent in the first place? How did God lead you to that point? So I'm going to start with everybody closest to me and let Ryan and Rachel start us off. Hi, I'm Ryan Flournoy, and uh, we have adopted a child from China. Um, and what really started out was God bringing me to my wife here, who her and I just had sort of a shared dream that adoption was going to be uh, part of our family one day. I was done having biological children. <laughs> We're Randy. Check. We're Randy and Ashley Dane, and we've adopted internationally from China. And, you know, kind of our phrase that we use is, uh, we knew that the Lord was willing, and because we were willing, we knew that that was in His will. And mm. so it wasn't some magic, divine moment where God called us into this. It was just that we knew that our heart was consistent with the Father's heart. Um, I'm Jacob, this is my wife, Savannah. Uh, we're currently foster parents. We've been foster parents since uh, January of last year. Um, what got us involved in uh, foster and hopefully one day adoption um, is, uh, is there's a list of things, but uh, a big thing was our uh, throughout high school, we both uh, spent a lot of time working at a, at a, at a, at a kids' camp in Alvin. Um, and it was mainly with a lot of foster and foster kids and other kids who have been through traumatic experience and through the years that kind of that really softened our heart to you know the whole scene and, and showed us the need that was there um, and that's kind of the main one of the biggest things that got us involved in foster care all right okay I'm answering <laughs> um, well, in our case, you heard a little bit earlier, we had one child uh, biologically, and then we realized that we were going to need to adopt. So in the beginning, we adopted in order to have a family. And, uh, and that was great. It was, it was kind of unbelievable uh, how the Lord brought our first two to us. And then I thought we were done. I was, I was telling one of the people out there at Mandigo, we used to say in the old days, in a lot of families, there's a draggy and a dragger, and I was the draggy almost every time. I was, I was always scared on the front end, but after we would adopt, I would feel pretty good about it. And so for about eight years, Robin uh, kept praying and, and felt like that God might have one more for us, and, and maybe one from Korea. And I kept saying, no, we, we have everybody I think we're supposed to have, and I have heart disease, and I'm trying to do a job. And and like I said this morning, I, I knew in a flash one day that, that God was speaking through her. And so we adopted the last three because we wanted to give a child a family. And, uh, and both of those were good reasons. Mm. All right, well, I'm going to go back to Savannah and Jacob for, for our next question. Why did you choose to foster instead of just going straight to adoption? I mean, we're going to talk about some of that later. but I think, like he was saying, we got involved at that camp and just got to hear people's... Um or hear these kids who were in foster care and hear their stories and the different ways that, um, you know, they had good experiences or bad experiences. And we, the Lord just showed us, you know, the great need that there was for these kids who are coming out of, whether it's, they were in abusive places, but it was all they knew. It was normal to them. And 
they're being ripped from everything they knew and sent to total strangers' houses. And so just the ability to speak for them and to protect them and love them and show them someone who loves them far greater than we do, hmm. that, that motivated us to foster. And like you said, we do hope to adopt um, but through, through this, and then we'll continue to foster until the Lord tells us not. So. And also, um, God's will never lacks God's provision. And so, I mean, we're... we're we bought a house, you know, and it was just us two, and uh, we had plenty of empty rooms, and so, hey, let's, let's do this. You know, we're, we're called to it. We have, the, we have everything we need to do it, and so that, I mean, that, here we are. Okay, so for everybody else at the table, why did you choose international adoption or domestic adoption? Um, I'll let everybody give a quick why they chose that, what led them there, because I know there are some people that say, well, there's plenty here, so, so why? So for us, that's where actually our heart started. We had a, an interest and a desire for adoption from the beginning of our relationship. But what really cemented that for us was work internationally among uh, orphans, in, in an orphanage specifically in Southeast Asia. And so in our mind, that, that was kind of what adoption looked like, the picture in our mind. Uh, but then when we were ready to engage in the process, we actually put all of that on the table and prayed through it and asked you know, God where he would direct us. And uh, as we yielded that, we just felt just an affirmation uh, that it was international. And so we started studying and researching programs and finding the right fit for our family. A couple of things that I would say that motivated us to the part of the world that we were interested in is, one, we wanted to be in a place where children had low access to the gospel, and we wanted to be in a place where girls were especially vulnerable because we knew that we had two girls, why not add a third? And so just continue outnumbering me. Um, But those were really things that drove us. Awesome. Um, I was 11, and I just remember knowing, just like people know they're going to have children or want children, um, just knowing that I was going to adopt from China. I don't ever remember where I got that from. I don't remember ever learning about adoption or, you know, seeing an adoption. I just, it was just in me that I was going to adopt, and it was going to be from China. Um, And that was kind of something that was always part of our relationship. We talked about adoption a lot, um, and it was always China in my mind. Um, And like they said, when we sat down and really said, okay, it's now, um, we laid everything out and we said, you know, kind of what are our criteria, what fits with our family, what fits with us. Um, I'm very much process-oriented. I don't like unexpected. I don't like... Um, the th- and we have three biological children in the home already. Um, and the thought of having a child in our family and then that child leaving, I, we felt like would not be healthy for our children that were already there. Um, you know, and there were some risks that we weren't willing to take. Um, so through the process, uh, that kept leading us back to international um, and then we looked at Korea and China, um, and it just kept going back to China. So, kind of Thank process you. of elimination. Yeah. Um, the, when we adopted our first two, they were domestic, and it, there was no big spiritual thing there. It was that I wasn't old enough yet to adopt internationally. And because I was like 23, I think, when I adopted the first one. And um, but then when we adopted from Korea, um, I really had had a heart for Korea. Mm. And everybody always asks why we didn't foster. 
and I'm not made to foster. Hmm. And I wish that I was, because I love it. I love the idea, but I kind of own things real quick, and um, it would not have worked well for me hmm. to love them and give them up. I probably would have left the country with them. And so, that I mean, and I, I love that other people are called to foster because it's so huge. It, there's such a great need. And I think God just prepares some people for that and others not so much. So, Thank you. Kate, so this is a, a question. We'll probably just have a couple people answer this. And I know that this is a loaded question, but what is the process to actually foster? What is the process to actually adopt? And um, what does that look like? Who do you need to talk to? Some things like that. So I can speak to the process of international adoption in China. And every country, international country, international country is different. Um, China's process has been in place for many years and is very well laid out, which, like Rachel said, worked well for me and for our family. We knew what to expect. There weren't going to be, oh, there's this fee that you need to come up with that so-and-so is asking for under the table or whatever. It was all very above-board ethical, and I felt very... um, I felt very uh, secure in that, knowing that we were doing things... um, above board yeah very predictable so our process we went through this there's two processes in China the special needs um, adoptions and non-special needs non-special needs take six to eight years because more Chinese are adopting domestically which is awesome mm. and um, it doesn't count towards their one child um, limit in some places and so more are adopting domestically so that's great so we went through this the not the special needs route which we were quoted at the time would take about um, 16 to 20 months at the time we adopted our daughter. April will be four years since she uh, came home. So this was about five years ago when we started our process. Our process took 14 months, and we began by doing our home study, gathering all our paperwork for immigration, and then um, once all of our paperwork was put together, that's called your dossier, we sent it to China. We were logged in in the system, and we actually received our match with our daughter Um, two months after we were logged into the system and they just match you based on um, a form that you fill out in the special needs process that's very awkward called the child desired form where you um, you'd say what your family is willing to um, take in as a child to adopt so um, that's a whole other story but um so we were matched, and then there's some process there after we were matched with Callie, uh, and then we traveled about five months later to China to get her. We were in China two weeks. We knew the two weeks exactly what would happen. We knew that it would be two weeks, and then we were home, and once we stepped foot on American soil, she was an American citizen, and mm. the process was finished then. Mm. Is, that, is that what you that's, wanted to know? That's great, and obviously if people have more questions, right. I, I think we've got two people. You're going to get an opportunity to go back out and talk to them again. Come on, they would love that. But like as a first step, you contact an agency. There you go. Right. <laughs> and another thing I'd like to say, and another thing I could tell you about is the cost of it. There are, um, the cost can seem daunting to adopt internationally, but I loved what you said that God always provides. We can tell you some awesome stories about how God provided for our adoption. And um, something that I did not know when we started is that there are, there are agencies, there are grant organizations that offer grants. And more than we, just our experience was that we had more, over half of our adoption covered through grants, which was just a huge blessing. And 
then lots of other ways that I don't have time for right now. But. Sounds good. Savannah Jacob. For, for us, we went through Arrow, and they have a booth out there, like you said, in um, we started in August of 2015. I went to the first informational meeting, and we talked about it and said, this is what we want to do. And so we started filling out the paperwork, the applications. Uh, we went through trainings with Arrow. They have them in class, and you do some online. You go through, you know, the process. Of, there's a long list, but, you know, fingerprinting and CPR certification and things like that. And then um, as far as your home, we had um, some inspections. We had health inspection, fire inspections. And then once everything was pretty much done, they did a final home study where someone, you know, comes in and looks at your home and talks to you. And it wasn't nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. So by the time, you know, we got finished, we still had to wait for me to turn 21 for us to be legal. And so we were licensed on my 21st birthday, and it, the process took us six months. So it was long, and you have to be diligent to, to do it and to get back with them everything you need. But it really wasn't as bad as you would think. Thank you. Um, so back to a question that you already alluded to, how much did it cost? Uh, I, I mean, I know that that's a, that's a loaded question and we can probably, we've got a couple different examples up here and we don't have to get into details, um, but how much does it cost? Ours was between thirty-five and $40,000. So about, about like a new car. There you go. That's three cars. <laughs> three of my kind of cars. That's I don't know what kind of car you're driving. But. Well, you know, and I want to say on finances, um, I, think, I think you said it earlier for the dads, that's often, a, you know, a trigger point is the finances that tends to be the way that we think. Um, we had friends that had gone before us, and we had the, the benefit of, you know, being on their shoulders. And what my friend told me that, that always stuck with me is he said, you know, We've demonstrated a willingness to finance a house. We've demonstrated a willingness to finance a car. Mm. Would you go into this process with a willingness to finance this? Mm. That made perfect sense to me. I said, absolutely. And then when we went to China, our adoption was 100% funded by the Lord. Mm. Yeah, I, I just got to mention this real quick. Um, one of the things that we like to say about the financial part is that when, the Bible says that when Jesus died for us for our adoption, he paid a ransom. And instead of thinking of it as a fee, if you're a guy out there, or a CPA especially, instead of thinking of it as like a price or a fee, you're paying a ransom. Mm. That's the first thing. The second thing, i got to just tell you, when, when Robin and I adopted, each time, you know, more and more money came out of savings and things like that. And when it got to Noah, who was our last one, uh, we kind of got towards the end of the process and things were going pretty fast. And we didn't have enough money. And they wanted us to, we, we owed, was it 5000 you tell yeah. him. <laughs> he acted like we had money coming out. We never had money to pay for any of them. And every time we would go, how are we going to pay for this? And then the Lord would just do it. And the last one, I was like, Lord, if you want us to take this little boy, we don't have the money. And I mean, we didn't have any at that time. We just paid for open heart surgery. And I mean, it, was, it just went on and on with five kids. And um, so Noah was ready in like two weeks from the time we said we wanted him. And he needed to travel. And they called me and they said, you know, we don't want to be rude, but we need the money before you travel. And so I, I looked at Paul and I was like, we're going to have to charge him. And, and we, It, it kind of hurt his self-esteem to find out he got charged. <laughs> and we did charge. And I was sitting out with the kids. We'd had him two weeks. I was sitting out on my porch with my other kids. And they had all been praying that God would bring the money. God would bring the money. And I was like, God, Lord. And then I had that moment of fear where maybe was I not supposed to do this because you hadn't brought the money yet. And I charged him, and now I've got to pay the bill. And I opened my mail that day, 
and we had $4,000, and we had not asked anybody to give. In those days, you didn't have the fundraising like mm-hmm. you do now. You just waited and, you know, tried to figure out what God was going to do next. <laughs> and I got, I mean, a friend gave money that said, we were going to build a deck, and we don't know why y'all need it, but the Lord told us to send it to you. And there was kind of like a disgruntled gift. But it was, <laughs> I mean, we took it, and we went. This, so it was, he was paid for after mm-hmm. two weeks, so... Praise the Lord. Yeah. And, and she made a great point for any of you that are thinking about adopting. I don't know if you're taking notes, but the four foundations that I would recommend that you look into right off are Show Hope, uh, Life Song for Orphans. Cha- everybody keeps changing their name. <laughs> Life Song for, for Orphans, Abba Fun, and another one that's at JCS Foundation, right? It's in Colorado. You know those guys? Yeah, all, all. all four. You agree? Those are four good ones to start with. And so for some of the other people in the room that you're saying, I'm not called to foster and I'm not called to adopt, um, maybe this would hopefully be at least eye-opening to you to, to exactly what Paul said during his talk. Maybe that's an area where you can't help. Maybe financially is a way that you can't help because I know that, it, that Paul and Robin's story is probably not one that's um, by itself and that you all of a sudden go, oh no, where's that money going to come from? And so I think that's just a great thing to realize for those of you in the room that may not be called to adopt, but that are called to orphan care ministry in some way or another. So, and and yeah. one other thing, these guys made a great point, is that in foster care in Texas, you don't have to pay to adopt from foster care. In fact, yep. there are subsidies oftentimes yep. for the kids who have special needs. Yeah. And I just wanted to add too, Josh, you know, we give God 100% credit that our adoption was 100% funded, um, but at the same time, it was a part-time job for Ashley. Yeah. Those those 14 grants didn't write themselves mm-hmm. that we got awarded eight, right? The fundraisers that we did, you know, she worked tirelessly for those things. Mm. And something that was encouraging to me uh, when I was looking at the spreadsheet, because I had the <laughs> spreadsheet, um, was that nothing, it's not like the thirty-five dollars to $40,000 is due all at once. Um, <clears throat> I know in domestic it's different. But with international, you know, you pay $100 for fingerprints. Um, don't, it's not exactly. But, you know, you pay $2,000 for your, you know, this fee, this fee. And it's spread out so that as you go, it's like a slow leak. Uh, you don't really <laughs> feel it all at once. And you get to the end and you're like, wow, you know, we did it. And it was, you don't really feel like the whole punch at once. Um, so awesome. it, it doesn't no. hurt you that bad. Thank you. Perfect. Um, do any of you guys have contact with the biological parents of your kids? It's another common question that people have been asked. We don't have. We don't know anything about our daughter's um, biological parents. In China, it's illegal to place your child for adoption, so children are just found. Mm-hmm. Um, our daughter was found on the side of a, a street. Um, we know where she was found. We know the day, um, but we have been blessed that we have contact with people who work in her orphanage. We um, we keep in touch with them on Facebook, and th- through them, we get to keep in touch with, like, we get to send pictures to the caregivers who loved her deeply, um, who rocked her to sleep and carried her on their backs when she was sick. Um, we have notes that were written from the caregivers to our daughter. Um, we have families. We were actually with them this weekend who adopted at the same time as us from the same orphanage. 
And so those, those four girls are going to grow up. We call them sisters. <laughs> um, it's the closest thing they have to family, but those are connections that we have to China for our daughter. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what we have. Um, we take every little bit of it that we can. Yeah, perfect. Um, obviously, in foster care, every case is going to be different. Um, typically... Um, so like when you're going through training and everything, they'll, they'll warn you about uh, keeping your identity, you know, to yourself, not letting people know who you are, or don't, you know, throw, put picture, pictures of the kids on Facebook and, you know, we're here doing this kind of stuff for safety reasons. You know, in some cases, you know, they were taken away and parents didn't want to be taken away and so they're trying to take them back. So that, there's that. Um, and then other, other times, you know, we, we've, we've only ran into parents once or twice and that was just in like at visits where we're dropping the kids off and kind of we can overlap you know where mom is there a little bit before we get there or or vice versa um but typically i mean for us we haven't really had any kind of big contact with the parents now with our our first our first placement um was a sibling a sibling sub, set of three and um we knew that they were going to be going with their grandparents and towards the end uh, we met with their grandparents, and we kind of transitioned. Um, you know, we go to the park and have playdates with them, and just so they could, you know, get used to who they're going to be with. And so that there's things like that that'll happen. But typically, I mean, I mean, at least for us, it's we haven't had any, very much contact with uh, biological parents. Yeah. Um, we had closed adoptions, our domestic adoptions, which were really unusual. And um, we probably don't even have any friends that we know of that had closed adoptions. And for us, it was good. It was real good because we had so many that were adopted. It would have been really difficult to have had mm. some kids having family come in or go visit or send pictures or whatever. So it really, in God's sovereignty, he knew. Now that they're older, and because of Facebook and social media, um, it's, it's, it's not that difficult to find. And um, our daughter, um, we wondered, you know, will they grow up? And that will be the first thing they want to do, you know, when they're old enough is to go find their birth parents and really didn't know what, you know, what that was going to look like. And it really just depends on the child. And everything we hear from people says that guys usually don't look until they're in their 40s. And so we don't have one that old yet. But our boys have absolutely no interest. Um, our, our oldest son, um, who is now 30, he found through Facebook, he happened to see somebody that knew his relatives and it kind of connected and he has met them he does see them often and I think I think it's been um, good for him in a way because he has seen the life that they live and he knows enough to know he doesn't want to live that way mm. and um, and that's been a positive for him our other daughter Kit who is uh, she's got six kids now um, she's really tried to find a birth sister who was placed a couple of years before her. And she has much more of an interest in siblings than she does her birth parents. And um, the Korean ones, they could care less, but they don't even think they're connected to Korea. So they, you know, it's, I mean, it's a very interesting thing because they don't have any connection. And we gave them all that they, you know, all the things you try to do to help them to appreciate their, their culture. It's not that they don't appreciate it, but they feel like they're Texans. They feel like they're ours. And um, so to them, it, you know, when people speak Korean, they're embarrassed that they don't speak Korean, you know, so. Okay. Um, 
So this is going to be a tough one, and, and certain people probably can't answer this one. Um, but how does it affect the other kids in your home, whether that's kids that have been adopted before, whether that's biological children? Um, I, I know Savannah and Jacob, y'all have got multiple different groups of siblings in your home. And so how does it affect the other kids in your home when you bring a, when you bring a child in, whether it be to foster or adopt? Well, I think this is probably absolutely different for every case, and I'm sure you guys could back that up. So I can only tell you about what it was like in the Dane house. Uh, we have two older daughters who are biological daughters, and at the time they were? Kendall was five, and Cooper was two and a half. So for a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, I don't know those kind of details, y'all. <laughs> for a five-and-a-half-year-old and a, a two-year-old, uh, I can tell you what it was like. It was like, hey, let's play, you know, Good. let's roll. Mm. Uh, so much harder on parents than it was on children. Good. Mm. Um, so, like I said, we originally, we, our first placement was, was a group of three. Um, and uh, before they left, we got placed with a fourth. He was, uh, yeah, he was two. Um, and we had a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a six-year-old already at our house. Um, and he was... Uh, he was not as, as as he wasn't as smart as the as the as the kids we had. So he had a real hard time um, communicating with the other kids. I mean, he he could really just grunt and kind of uh, you know and that was about it. And and um, our three the three year old boy we had would get so frustrated that he couldn't talk to him. He said, "You need to talk like me," because they shared a room and we'd sit there and listen to him on the monitor. And you know he'd he'd just be mumbling to him, and he'd get angry that he couldn't he couldn't communicate with them. Um, but they all warmed up to each other, to one another, you know. And after even after the our first three left, and we 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 still had a, uh, our fourth. They you know that they we'd see them every once in a while, and they say hey, their grandparents say hey, they you know they talk about they talk about them all the time. They pray for them at night before they go to sleep, and so. Um, so we, I mean, we've had good experiences with you know our kids bonding with one another, um, you know roughhouse and wrestling just like kids are supposed to. Um, but I know that's, that isn't always the case, and like I said, every every case is different. So just because that's how we've had it doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. Our kids all ended up being um, in birth order, and that wasn't by our doing. And I remember social workers telling me they thought that was best, and I thought they didn't know what they were talking about, and they did. And and I think that. I would never say, I mean, we have two grandchildren that came to our daughter out of birth order by a lot. They're, I mean, they're now almost fully grown. There's a 19-year-old that's graduating, an 18-year-old. And um, it has its own set of problems, but it, it worked for them. And my daughter went in with eyes wide open. But typically, it, it can be really, really hard to bring children in and put them in between, especially birth children. And it just, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. And you don't worry about abuse and things like that nearly as much when the children that you bring in are going to be younger than the children that are already in your home because they can talk and tell. And, and it's a very rare thing for a young child to abuse a child that's anything older than them. So I would say there is a lot of wisdom to that. And um, I've seen it where no one believed it and then they get into it and it's like oh my gosh this is really difficult again our experiences are unique to our own household but uh the older two uh we have four the older two um pretty much were like hey cool we've got a new sibling and it was no big deal to them they kind of rolled with the punches our youngest uh prior to adoption 
Um, he's probably her closest competitor, and he took it a little bit rough. Um, he didn't really like sharing mom and dad's attention, and uh, he kind of saw it as somebody encroaching in on his play space. But that mentality went away, I'd say, within three months. Uh, I'm a <laughs> try again. No. Um, one thing that we did to kind of work through that, though, is that we gave him a safe place to fuss about it. You know, like when he was having a rough day because sister was hitting him or taking his toys, we'd like when I was putting him to bed, I'd be like, oh, she's so terrible, isn't she? She's just awful. And we, he'd be like, yeah, she is. You know, and so he knew that I knew that this was hard on him. Um, it wasn't easy for him to lose his spot as a baby to somebody who was really less than a year younger than him. And they're competing for toys and attention, um, and they're really, you know, we're very close developmentally. So um, I think if you give children a safe place to say, I don't like this all the time. This is not fun. I didn't choose this. You chose this for me. And now I have to sit here and be happy about it. Um, if you just let them kind of wallow in it, then he could get that out. And then the next day, he's like, okay. I like her a little bit. It's okay. We actually do that together without the children. <laughs> the bios, the adoption one. We just we sit and go, they're awful, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. You yeah. have to have a gripe session every now and then. <laughs> yeah. That may not be unique to adopted children. But you gotta, wow. you, you got to be able to let it go when the gripe session's over. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Um, one more thing, Paul. You good? I was going to say one other thing that I noticed with our kids, I think it's important to encourage and foster a sense of humor with some of this stuff. Mm. And our boys, Ethan and Noah, when they were like middle school, I'm not sure how old, but sometimes people would go, well, you know, people ask really dumb questions when they are around adoption. And they would say, well, are y'all real brothers? And Noah would say, no, he's my fake brother. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up with one last question. I'm going to let each one of you go um, go through. Uh, the, the question is, what's your biggest struggle, right? Because I know that each situation is different, and I know that there are a lot of different um, scenarios represented on stage. What's the biggest struggle? But you can't stop there. Um, we need to know, as the church, we need to know how can we serve you as a church, and then how can we serve you as individuals, um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so... Uh, we can't take too awful long, but, but just one quick thing that you feel like has been the biggest struggle and how we as the church and as, as brothers and sisters of Christ can serve you. I, I don't think Ryan wants to start. We're going we're gonna to go to Randy first. Uh, my biggest struggle uh, from the beginning, uh, even still now, has been with bonding and my like adoption especially toddler adoption, will show you your need for the Lord and will show you the blackness of your heart when you're looking at a child who you know is just in need of love and all you want to do is throw them out the window because you can't take the screaming or the fits. Um, and you know that that's just your sinfulness and you just want to lose it on them. So that, you know, it's, it gets better day by day, uh, month by month. That You know, where I was a year ago looks like the pit um, and from compared to where I am now. But it's a daily struggle that I have to put on and put away those feelings of um, impatience with her that I don't have to do with my biological children nearly as often mm. and that's just difficult because I don't want to do that you know I want to feel the same feelings I have towards my boys as I do with her 
So how so. can we serve you? Um, it's wonderful to miss her. Like when I get a chance, <laughs> when I get a chance to be away from her for like an hour, because I stay home with her, she's with me all the time, and it's so intense. When I get a chance to like get a break for an hour, and I get to see her with fresh eyes, or see her interact with other people who see her and love her, um, and see her as precious, then I see her through those eyes, and it's so refreshing for me. Um, to see her through other people's eyes and to, to have a chance to just breathe and to miss her. Um, and when I come home after being an hour away, um, it's like I have renewed patience because mm. I missed her for once. Mm. So. so babysitters for date night. Uh, babysitters and also if you'd like to take my wife out, not anything romantic, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that works too because I don't mind watching the kids. <laughs> So you're not allowed to take my wife out. Just, <laughs> just Clear that up front. Say that one. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think I talked a little bit about the the pre-process being a part-time job for Ashley. Uh, we got Kelly home, and then it shifted into a full-time job with medical special needs. Um, and we've got more ahead of us. Um, honestly, it, it works, though. It's just, you know, year by year, you, you just kind of take it on. Um, but our biggest, our biggest struggle was also a bonding issue. Um, rather than it being Ashley's, it was more mine. My older two, my biological daughters, are massive major daddy's girls. And so that's what I'm used to. And that was not what Callie and I had immediately. And, uh, you know, you train, you prepare, you do all the lessons, and it still doesn't prepare your heart. And so we had a real heart struggle for, for quite some time. Um, but, man, you just you, you keep at it. You stay persistent. You keep praying. And you get there over time. And, uh, you know, and that's where we're at now. But it is hard. It is so hard. And, and I just want to say that uh, if you have this romantic idea of what this might be like, throw that out the door and prepare for a hard road, but a road that's absolutely worth it. Thank you. So... Uh, I, I can't let you off the hook. How do we serve you? Um, <laughs> I think as um, surgeries come up, as therapies continue, um, just support in those. Like, like anyone that's having medical issues, that's kind of um, the hard thing in mm. having other kids in the home. So. Yeah, and I think probably the reason why I have a trouble coming up with an answer to that is because we've been served so well. Mm. Yeah, we have uh, we have everything that we need in terms of support, and so. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, I think for me the biggest struggle has just been the tension in my own heart of in foster care of having to you know like we pray for our kids' parents, we pray that they would come to know Jesus, and we pray that the Lord would redeem them from their sin and their addictions, and that. You know, we know that this is all a result of sin. We know that just the need for foster parents or the need for CPS is a result of the fall. Mm. And it's not how it's supposed to be. And we know that they need to be back with their family. And so we pray that. We pray for their parents. We pray that the Lord would redeem them and that they would be able to care for and serve and love their own children. But at the same time, you know, just navigating the fact that we, we would love nothing more than to keep them and to love them forever and for, for them to be ours. And so just navigating the tension of that, of how, how you pray and... Um, and I think, like she said, just going back to realizing that we're not in control and that God is in, God is in total control. And, you know, every day we learn to trust him more and know that he is a better 
father and a better provider mm-hmm. and a better protector that we could ever be for these kids. And so just learning to trust in that has been the hardest, you know, the, the biggest thing for us. And it, it's been hard and it's been so good. Mm. I just want to add something. Um, one of the things that often comes up whenever we're talking about foster care is, is attachment, you know, and people say, I couldn't do that. I mean, it's not for, it's really not for everybody. It's only for certain people. And if you're considering foster care and, um, and you're worried about attachment, you know, people say, how, how, do you, how do you keep from getting attached? And my answer is you, you don't. You, you can't keep from getting attached. If it doesn't hurt, if you're not destroyed when they leave, you didn't do it right. Mm. Um, and so that's, I mean, you want to talk about tension, that's probably another big tension we have. And we know this may not last forever, but who cares? We're going to love them like they're ours, and we're going to, I mean, it's going to hurt, and that's how it should be. Okay, I'm not letting you off the hook either. How do we serve you? I think our church has done a phenomenal job of just coming alongside us and not something, you know, super structured, but just, you know, organically loving us and serving us. They threw us a shower when we first got licensed. And, I mean, it's super awkward. You know, it's not a baby shower. It's, <laughs> here's some clothes for 12-year-olds, and here was the bottle. And, you know, just random. But not only was it great just to have those things physically, you know, needs met, but just knowing that our church was behind us and was supporting us and we're not doing this alone. So, I mean, we've, we've been served phenomenally and just every time someone comes up and meets me in the parking lot of church and gets a kid out of the car seat for me, you know, it's a huge help and I know that they're praying and supportive of us. So we, we've been blessed. Perfect. Last but not least, you guys have had this for a long time. What, what are ways that we can serve um, foster and adoptive parents? I know you already alluded to a couple of them. Is there anyone, any more y'all want to add? or biggest struggle y'all had? I think one of the things that I recognized early on is that when I bring a new child into our family, I kind of go into a panic. Paul panics before we get him, and I'm sure before we get him. Then when we get him, I panic. And I didn't really want to see people, you know, and it was real hard for me because neighbors would come over and go, oh, we want to see him, we want to see him. And I'd show them, and then they're like, are you doing okay? Are you doing okay? And I was thinking, no, I'm not. Mm. And um, I've learned that's just what I do. And, and it's not good or bad. It's just who I am. And then two weeks later, I'm feeling great about it. But I kind of go into a hole and don't go anywhere. And I think you need to allow people to be able to, and it, it, don't be worried and don't, you know, tell people at church, oh, I think there's something going wrong. There's not. It's just everybody processes things differently. And I think that's something that I felt like I couldn't. So when people would say, oh, I want to come by, and I'd be like, oh, no. And, and it wasn't that I didn't want them, but it was too much too soon. And they did want to see them. And in, in that day when we were adopting, there weren't that many adopted kids. And it was like they wanted to see what they looked like, you know. And, and, and that, that just kind of bothered me because I didn't even know who they were yet. And I needed to have a little bit of a chance to know who they were underneath there before other 